I think there's some assumption that when any kids are signed up for services that there's something that needs fixing. I know as a young social worker that was what I literally thought was my job. I would go into foster and adoptive parents' homes and they would tell me about their nightmare of a week. They would detail behaviors that would quite honestly make anyone want to throw in the towel on parenting. And they would look at me with these eyes filled with pools of desperation and all I wanted to do was to fix this. Like I wanted to fix it for them. I wanted to fix it for the kids and I wanted to fix it for me quite honestly because I was like, if I can make this go away, then this conflict's gone and, and I can be a great social worker and I won't have to like deal with the turmoil of this issue. But as I made all of these promises to these parents, because of course I was like, sure, yes, um, I can help you with that. Yeah, this is why I'm here. Thank you so much. I took all these notes and goes back to the office to say like, okay, here's all the problems we need to fix. And I made these, these tall orders, these promises to these parents and I had no clue how I was gonna fix their situation. And the truth was I couldn't and it wasn't my job. I remember a supervisor told me once, we don't have magic wands. We don't get to erase trauma and smooth out dysfunctional family dynamics that are rooted in survival. What we do get to do is be there. That's it. Be there in the thick of it, navigate the waters, validate the suck and offer support with the resources that we do have. Many parents, mentors, program directors, they feel the need to fix. It's like, it is an innate, like human desire to fix an issue when it comes to us. When somebody's in pain, we want to alleviate it. It's completely natural, but we don't fix here. We don't fix at stable moments. So I want to dive into what we do do and how we can support everyone while just being in the thick of it. I will roll that intro and we can dive right in. I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local communities. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments Podcast Facebook group. Together we can end the foster care crisis. So let's first dive into how mentors can not fix and how they can be in the thick of it with, with the kid. So a mentor may sign up and they want to serve a child in foster care, right? They want to spend one-on-one -on -one time. In, in our program, they have seen a plan of care. So they've seen that this kid has some challenges and they have seen that this kid is working on particular life skills. Now, we always frame these plans of care in a very positive way that, you know, this is just a child that's struggling with a few things and that we just need to build some life skills. It's very positive. It's not like they need to fix this to be successful here. Okay. But 
regardless, we still see those challenges and we still see, okay, we're going to build self-esteem. We're going to, we're going to build responsibility. We're going to build independence. And we still want to like make a positive outcome with this kid. And we have taken on a bunch of assumptions about what it's like to deal with a kid in foster care. It is natural to think, okay, this kid's troubled. This kid needs help and I'm going to guide them in the right way. Okay. We pack on a whole bunch of what our role is going to be in that. And that's natural too. The key here is to be really aware of what are you thinking your role is? Because what your role is supposed to be is just showing up and trying as hard as you can to remove your lens of all of your experiences and everything that you think's right and what the right way to behave is and how a child should process trauma. You don't know this. We don't know this. We don't know their experience. So the best way that you can be in the thick of it with somebody in which you've admitted that you can't understand their experience is to just be curious. You are learning so you are not there to teach. You are there to learn. I mean, I imagine if I was to go into somebody else's culture, I would not go to somebody else's culture where I didn't speak the language and try to start teaching my way. I would be so thrown in the deep end that I would be like, I guess I'm going to learn their culture. I'm going to like see what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to act you know, the different hierarchies, like I would figure out the dynamics and I would first learn, right? Before I even tried to attempt to really like interact or direct any interactions. So the first thing you're going to do is learn. It's a human. Learn about the human. Hey, how are you? You can, uh, you can notice things. You can label things, you know, if a kid's upset or whatever. Hey, I noticed this behavior. Hey, I noticed you said this. What does that mean? Can you tell me more about that? I'm curious. Tell me about your experience. Try to remove and leave at the door anything that you have kind of imposed by either reading the plan of care or maybe you're like made some assumptions because the mom blew up the driveway and she was, you know, upset and frustrated and oh, we're late. And there was a whole bunch of other kids with her. And then the kid comes out and, and you're thinking like, okay, one thing that mentors do sometimes is they like feel like they need to save the kid from the, the parent. They see the parent is like frustrated and comes in like a tornado and the kid gets out and is upset. And the mentor wants to dive in and be like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry that you're with that crazy foster parent. Or I'm so sorry you have to deal with that energy. I think you're a good kid. I think you're cool. And that's a, we have no clue. Those are way too many assumptions to make. And it's really driving a wedge like with any care team and a care team involves mentors, service directors, church elders, uh, school staff, foster parents. The best thing you can ever do is be on a very unified front. So what you don't want to do ever is to allow divisiveness to happen where a kid is able to kind of get you against their parents. Okay, and that is something that they've actually, they could have possibly learned to do because it benefits them, right? They're able to play different adults off of each other. So it's very important that we actually are only supportive in the like, wow, I get it. Mom just flew up this driveway. She's super frustrated because like she has seven kids in there and God knows what happened on the drive up and this kid's getting out and they're upset and I am just here to learn and 
hold some regulated energy and say like, hey, how are you doing? Let's check in. Let's go do our one-on-one time, okay? Remaining curious, saying, you know, like, oh, in your head all the time instead of being frustrated, instead of getting scared, getting nervous. Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Being overwhelmed, not holding a boundary. Instead of all that, just get curious. Oh, this is really interesting. This is what's happening in my body. And you can actually be the example for the kids. So you can say like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. Like so much is going on right now. And I'm sorry. I always talk about blaming ourselves. I'm sorry. I'm really slow or I'm old or I'm new here or I don't know this. I don't know this property really well or I don't know about horses that much or whatever it is. Can you slow down for me? or Can you help me understand? We did an episode on the wonder method. That's a great method to stay in the wonder and really allow being to happen, okay? Now, a kid might come to you and say they need you to fix their problems, that their you know, mom's getting out of jail and that she's not around to write their, her mom letters and that she thinks that that's BS and that she would like to write a letter for her mom there and can we do that and all of that. Oh my gosh, of course you would wanna write your mom a letter. I totally get that. Uh, but let's, I'm not sure. So let's talk about Um, If we're able to write a letter, let's go talk to the program director. I'd love to talk to your foster parents or I'd love to talk to your, um, you know, somebody about this to see why we're not allowed to do that. And so you can show that you're going to not just like side with them and do that activity, but you're going to find out more information um, so that you can make meaning of it for yourself, which helps demonstrate how a kid would find information and make meaning of something for themselves, all right? But you do it in a way that is validating. Like, of course you would want to write a letter to your mom. A kid could come to you and say like, oh my gosh, I don't have any, um, I don't have a new backpack for school and everybody at school has a new backpack. As a mentor, you will want to fix this by simply buying the kid a new backpack. Of course you would want to do that. But what our job is, is to actually be in that feeling of like, that sucks to not have a new backpack and other kids have a new backpack. Hey, let's talk about what kind of backpack would you get? Like, what does that mean to you? Tell me about your current backpack. Tell me all about it. What backpack would you like to have? What are the kids having these days? That's interesting. I totally, that's a cool backpack. That's, I would totally want that backpack cool too. That's awesome. Um, and, and if you were really like, oh, this is a need that the kid really needs, like clothing or something, then you could talk to the program director about maybe, you know, doing a clothing drive or something like that to get the kids what they need from from the community in a way that is meaningful, but it's not transactional. That's the thing is like, if you were, if a kid were to just say to you, it really sucks, everybody at school has a new backpack and I have this old one and you just bought a backpack for that kid, you literally made it transactional when you could have made it relational. So the thing is, is that kid is not going to have the new thing all the time. That kid is often going to feel disappointment or like they're, they um, don't fit in. So how do we deal with not fitting in? How do we deal with having a crappy backpack? How do we deal with those feelings? How do we acknowledge, yeah, I remember, I remember not having everything that everybody had and feeling like I wasn't cool. That sucks when you're in middle school. And sitting in the feelings of it sucking rather than fixing those feelings because there's always going to be something 
that we could have explored and we could have held the feeling and then developed the coping skills. So what do we do when we feel like we don't stick out? Are there any other kids or when we don't fit in? Are there any other kids that have a crappy backpack too? What does that mean? You know, so like having those conversations and getting getting curious and understanding what it actually means for the kid. Now we're not doing therapy. We're not getting to like the root feeling and when was the first time this feeling came online for you? And like, we're not doing that, but we're just getting curious instead of jumping in and fixing, okay? Kids that have had to live in survival mode often look for transactions. They look for what can they get out of situations. They haven't had healthy relationships that they've been engaged in. So they haven't learned, oh, it's love and it's trust and it's respect. That's what a relationship is. Instead, they've learned, you know what? People use me up and trash me. I'm going to use people up and trash them. And people are a means to an end. People are a way to get something. So this mentor that's coming, I'm going to see what I can get out of them. I'm going to use them up for whatever I can. And of course, this isn't like a rational thought. This isn't like logical. They couldn't actually say this out loud. But they're, they just understand that like, these, all these people that have come in and out of their lives, some have given them toys, some have given them um, food, some have given them things, and they don't trust love. They don't trust trusting relationships. So they're going to get what they can get. So you're really adding to this cycle of transactional relationships or interactions with kids rather than developing the relationship which talks about the feelings. Okay, and holds this space for something sucking or big feelings rather than fixing the big feeling and giving in because it's just going to be the next thing. Cool, I got a backpack from you this week. What can I get from you next week? And your whole, you've missed the whole point of building a healthy relationship. Okay, so stepping back, really just getting curious and not fixing like, oh, shoot, the thing should be how, how do we cope with that? That's not going away. How do we cope with that? Your mom's not getting out of jail. We can't fix that for someone. We can't fix some of these bigger things for someone. So how do we sit with that? How do we live with that? Tell me more about that. Wow, that sucks, okay? All right, parents. So parents come to our program all the time, desperate for us to fix their kids. Desperate, desperate, desperate because they are at their wits end and the behaviors that are going on in their home are so disruptive that they truly just, they don't want to live like this anymore. Okay. And you are a service provider that's willing to address some of these issues. We've done an intake assessment. We've said, okay, we're going to develop some of the, these life skills. And, and a lot of times the parents talk about fixing lying or fixing respect or fixing tantrums or, or something like that. And listen, we are not here to do therapy. We're not here to fix. We just help kids cope. Often or sometimes parents will say like, I haven't seen any progress. You know, my kid's been here for a certain amount of time, a couple months, and I haven't seen progress at home. And this really speaks to the fact that they thought this service was going to fix their kid. And not only are we like not fixing, but we're also a super long-term program. We're 10 months and ideally we would be year over year over year. So we're not going to see major progress quickly. Like these issues have taken a really long time to get to the way that they are. 
But what I would like you to think about when we think about parents is actually thinking more about how can we support the parent? Because the parent is coming to you saying, my life is really hard and I don't want it to look like this anymore. And the parent thinks if the child is fixed, if the behaviors stop, my life will be better. But the problem here is no one's happiness can rely on somebody else's behaviors. So what we need to do is speak to that parent's trauma, that parent's experience and their need. And their need is saying, I need a break. Their need is saying, I didn't expect my life to look like this. Their need is saying, get me out of this situation. Make me happy, okay? So anytime a parent is upset and they come and they say, you know, my kid should be doing this and or every time they come to the every time they come to the stable moments session, they are reporting all the things the kid did wrong that last week and fix it. Fix it. Take it and fix it because this, guess what she did this week? She was terrible again, okay? Well, we don't support that because it doesn't help to go to a service where you're supposed to be building self-worth and self-esteem, right? And to hear at the beginning of the session how bad you were that week, okay? But what I usually like to do is break the parent away from the kid because it's very easy to go like, this parent sucks, this poor kid, right? Very easy to do that. We see parents that seem overbearing, that seem like they hate the kid, which they might at this point. And we are like, we are just so sad that this kid has to go home with this parent. And what I challenge mentors, program directors, or the community to do is to not judge that parent so quickly, okay? So we have no clue what that parent's been through. And the parent is just saying, I can't live like this. And we are pouring into the kid. We understand the kid's trauma. We understand that the kid needs this safe space to be validated and sit in the suck, but we don't do that for the parent. So peel the parent away and we speak to the parent of like, wow, tell me about your week. And I used to make a point to let the parent just download all of the crap. I mean, the kid did this, the kid peed all over our fresh stuff. There was one parent that said that the kid put poop in hamburger that was being served to people. Like they were having an event, they were having a celebratory event and the kid put poop in hamburger, okay? So like, I'm not saying like, it's little behaviors that the parent should chill out. Like you'd probably freak out too, right? Okay, so I would let the parent like download and I would just be like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. That is a lot. How are you doing? How are you holding up? I'm not doing well. If she did, 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 and they would really want to focus on the kid, right? And I would just say like, hey, let's per put her aside right now. Her behaviors are big, they're challenging, and I understand that they are the biggest sore thumb in your life right now. But how are we gonna get your needs met? Because those behaviors are not changing tomorrow. And you can't live like this. I agree with you. You can't live like this. What would allow you to like take a step back and not be so much in the thick of it? 
And they're like, I don't know. And they may come up with a whole bunch of excuses of why they can't take a break, why they can't do things, why Department of Children and Families makes it impossible for them to get a break because you have to have a certified foster parent to watch the kid. And it's true. There's like, you can't even get a babysitter. Okay. And you hear all that and you're like, wow, that is so tough. What can we do? We have to make a plan. You can't live like this. I agree with you. We've got to make a plan. What can we do? And then I usually start discovering some fears. If they like, we, I, don't, I don't know, I don't have any time to do anything, I can't take a break, da, 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 I don't see any way out. Then I start asking about their fears. So I say like, if nothing changes, what are you afraid of? You know, if, if we don't help your kid, if your kid doesn't fix their behavior, if they continue on this way, what does that look like for you? Well, I'm just so afraid. Like, I'm afraid that they'll go to jail. I mean, I'm afraid that they'll be stealing things from the neighbors and, and you know, we'll be seen as these bad parents. And it, whatever the fear is, it starts coming out. And then we walk down that road. Okay. So let's say she starts stealing and you start being seen as the bad parent. Okay. What does that feel like? Doesn't feel good. Okay. And let's say she goes to jail. My job is not to stop your kid from going to jail, but what we can do, what we can work on together is get you in a place where you feel empowered and safe and okay visiting your kid in jail. Talking to the parents next door that come over and say, she stole something from us. You need to keep that kid locked up. You need to be better at watching her. We can prepare for that conversation and we can help you feel like empowered and not constantly in fear of what might happen because it might happen. The probability of it might be high. So we need to start preparing and getting you in a place where you feel okay, regardless of the outcome. Okay. So once we start getting to the bottom fears of it, so many times parents just one haven't been listened to. They've been judged. I mean, imagine taking in a child and then everybody judging you and you feeling horrible that the reality for you is that you wish you hadn't, you know, that life would have been easier had you not. And everybody's just saying, wow, I feel so bad for that kid having to be with that woman. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. So let's give the parent as much as they need. And usually there's a huge fear under there. And if we can get to the fact of, let's just go with the biggest fear. Your kid doesn't get fixed. This doesn't go away. Now, how do we move forward? At least we've validated the biggest fear. And usually when we open the door to our biggest fears and we face them and we, we say, okay, that's the reality now, then we feel a lot more empowered to not just be hiding under the weight of that fear. Okay. All right. So that's, that's parents. That's how we feel about parents. We don't fix kids, but we do support parents. Okay. And then for program directors in this program, you will feel like you need to fix something. You will feel at some point like a parent is saying you're not doing enough. You will feel like a kid doesn't like your services. You will feel like you messed up. You will feel like you didn't make progress. 
okay? You'll feel like you're just not developing life skills. But let me tell you, I used to go to my supervisor and I used to say, listen, I teach them everything that they should do at home. I sit there and I tell them how to do therapeutic parenting techniques and they don't, as soon as I leave, they don't do them. And it's just every week, it's the same thing. They're not listening to me. They're not seeing any progress, but it's because they're not doing what I tell them to do. And I just don't think that we're making any progress. And I don't know what to do with that. And he used to tell me, Rebecca, if you, for the hour visit that you are there, can model for them a different way for one hour, a new way for one hour, they may not be able to do it. They are too close to it. It's easy for you to go in and hold this space and have a different perspective and not be exhausted and not be triggered. That might be way too difficult for them. But if you for one hour can show a different way, can alleviate some of that stress, some of that reaction, then we are doing our jobs, okay? So, as a program director, just know that giving the hour, being curious, talking with a parent, showing up, doing your best, even if it's just listening, you're just listening, you're not fixing anything, we weren't here to do therapy, we were here to show up for a kid and their parent for one hour a week. That's it. You were there. You didn't promise any change. And even your thought of like, oh, I need to fix this or I need to change this or I need to be doing more can actually add to the dynamic where the parent feels like you should be doing more. So you're kind of enabling this dynamic. But if you can just sit back and listen and say that stuff and show them how to sit in the pain of their experience and hold it for them, then honestly, you're building trust with that parent as well because the more that they can feel heard and validated, you're giving them something that they don't feel or experience anywhere else in the community. And if we're just there for the kid, I've had plenty of kids that just, they're not showing much progress. They don't even really wanna be there, but we're there and we show them regardless of how you know, you are, we're going to be there for you. We're just meeting you where we're at. And we're not going to say after a couple sessions, like, I guess this isn't working. Never mind. That's the whole point. So even if it feels pointless, the point was to hold a moment, a stable moment. That's all you have to do. So give yourself some credit for holding stable moments. And that's all you have to do. It was enough. And you're leading by example because we are showing kids and mentors and parents and humans that they are enough. A moment's enough. An hour's enough. Giving time, space, energy, love, curiosity is enough. Okay? We don't need to do anything more than that. We really just need to be with. Okay? All right, I hope that that helps you understand how we don't fix kids, but we are there for them and we're there for our families. I wanna thank mentors and parents and program directors. This is really tough stuff. We are dealing with craziness, crazy family dynamics and trauma and family trees that we couldn't even map out if we tried, okay? So let's take a big breather. Understand that each and every one of you are such a big deal and keep rocking it. All right, until next time.